You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to an episode of Clapback Culture. I am your girl, Jules Jesse, alongside our guest co-host, Besa Gordon. What's up, Besa? Hey, how you doing? Hope y'all doing mighty fine. Yes, honey. Welcome. Are you um getting your AirPods together over there, girl? I gave up. So what I did was I just connected them to my phone in case my phone decides to be disrespectful. <laughs> Listen, I put my phone on airplane mode if people try to be disrespectful. Y'all, my chats are blowing up right now. If you haven't heard or been on social media, um, we have some unfortunate news that Kevin Samuels, the relationship influencer advisor, has passed away. And so very random. We're still waiting for more confirmation reports to come through. Um, But sad story. And also sad to see so many people trolling in the comments section. Um, This guy, Kevin Samuels, you guys have to Google him or pull up on Neighborhood Talk or Baller Alert, something like that. We're waiting for the Shade Room to post it. Um, However, this is like a big deal because he had a lot of controversial things to say about women, um, about high-valued men, as he would say. Uh, Basa, I believe you and I were talking about Kevin Samuels once we before. We sure did. We yeah. sure did. I remember when I first just started talking about him because I think that was when he went viral for the you're a six at best or something like that comment that he made to some girl. And everybody was like, oh, my God, I can't stand him. But I'm going to be honest. There were some things that he would say from time to time that I would agree with. Most of it I did not agree with. However, like Jules was saying, if you type in Kevin Samuels on Twitter, if you go on to like any of the websites that are talking about it and you on the comments, it's weird that there are more people literally rejoicing. I seen someone actually grab a gift of someone twerking that he was gone. And I was like, I've never seen anything like this before. This is kind of, I don't know, it's a little disturbing if I'm honest. Yeah, it's dark. I mean, I agree. Um, I'm looking in the comment section. Healing Broken Wings says people love to hate, especially when you have your own thoughts. Kevin Samuels definitely left his mark um, in terms of just things that he had to say. And again, you know, he's an online influencer. He has 1.2 million people who follow him on Instagram. So somebody was subscribing to the things that he had to say. And I and I'm with you, Basa. There were plenty of things that he said that I do agree with. I think he just was so raw, uncut and unfiltered that it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't land very well for a lot of people. Um, But I mean, again, he did have a lot of things to say that I have to agree with. So moving on and rest in peace to uh, Kevin Samuels, you guys, and please don't troll the comment section. You guys like this guy still has a family. It's one thing to have, you know, to to be an influencer, but people have friends and family. Please respect people's friends and family and chill out. That's crazy. Yeah, because influencers are real people too, so. They are. (laughs) They have real family, real friends, people that actually love them. And sometimes it's like the influencer that you see is just like a very small part of who that person is when you actually know them personally. So Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into the show. You guys, welcome to another episode of Clapback Culture. Like I said, Besa is filling in for Mike Davis tonight, and we're just so glad to have you, my good queen of Converge sister. Hey. Happy to have you here. There's some crazy stuff jumping off in Seattle. I saw this report, and I was like, <laughs> okay. It's so wild out here. I'm not going to front. <laughs> this this oh, is a crazy story. So there's some chaos that happened at a Seattle encampment. I'm not sure if you heard about this beforehand. This is probably like big local news, but it also made national headlines. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. We do have a clip. Uh, There's a bench warrant that has been issued for the arrest of Arius Beckett Sumpay, a.k.a. Lady Gangsta. Shout out to her. But the King County prosecutors um, have charged the 28-year-old with first-degree assault Uh, She's accused of stabbing a man several times with a knife over an alleged dispute over a tent involving a fellow encampment resident. Let's take a look. Scenes of violence on the streets of the Emerald City. The spotlight has obtained video of a wild stabbing that led to an AK-47 style rifle being fired in a Seattle homeless camp. Take a look as a van pulls up to drop off food for the people who are living in tents on 13th Street, just north of Dearborn, between the Goodwill and Public Storage Building. The guy bending over to pick up food is David Charles Burchett. His wife has been having issues with a woman named Arius Beckett Sumpay, better known on the streets as Lady Gangster. Apparently, Burchak told Lady Gangster she needed to move her tent. Instead, she sneaks up behind him and shanks him repeatedly with a knife, lacerating his liver, intestines, spleen, and severing a tendon in his arm. Lady Gangster then casually heads up the stairs that leads towards 12th Avenue and the Navigation Center. Meanwhile, Burchak runs to his tent and grabs his rifle, managing to squeeze off a round before succumbing to his wounds. At that point, his friend, who is yet to be identified, takes the AK-47-style rifle and peels off a series of shots at Lady Gangster as she scampers up the hill. This is all happening at 10 a.m. on a Monday. Adam, who told us about the ordeal, was asleep in the red tent you see there at the bottom left of your screen. Sir, this morning I woke up and literally two feet from my head, somebody got stabbed and someone took an AK-47 to the airport times. I mean, I'm terrified. He eventually pops out to get some food. Meanwhile, Burchak's friend stashes the rifle back in Burchak's tent where his wife tries to play. All right. Well, Lady Gangster didn't show up for her arraignment. I mean, I don't know. That actually made me laugh when I read it in the news report. I'm like, why would she show up for an arraignment for a first degree? No, she's not going to. Anyway, she's um, basically on the run. You guys look out for her. She's got 5150 tatted on her neck and poncho. Uh, what is What is going on here? It's been a little wild out here lately. I'm not even going to front, like living downtown. I Where was I coming from? I think I went to Xfinity, um, the one on SLU, and I'm like walking across the street. And then uh, you could tell these people weren't really from here, at least the people that were with their friends. And this one girl was like, be careful. This area is a little sketchy. And what's crazy is South Lake Union never used to be a sketchy area. But nowadays you have all these encampments. You know, I've seen the photos where it's like if you kind of look underneath the Space Needle, but you're like kind of going over by that bridge as if you're going towards QFC. Tons and tons and tons of tents everywhere. I remember I was in my lift one day and this guy was like, what is going on over there? I was like, people are living there. What do you mean? Chow, listen, it's giving, you're already living in like the homeless encampment, which is breeding grounds for, I think, just a lot of hardship and animosity. So 
in the beginning of the clip, and I agree with Miss Dia, what took me out is that all of this is taking place early in the morning. Like y'all don't even have a cup of coffee. And then for him to pull out and just have a rifle in the encampment and be able to get off a few rounds, I mean, shout out to him. I mean, you got to be able to protect yourself at all times. So you're not, I mean, I guess you just know what population of people that you're dealing with. Um, Healing Broken Wings says, well, that's regular life here in D.C. I would have to argue that it definitely is. Uh, so, man, protect yourself at all times. I mean, wow. I just, I, I'm, I'm shocked. Well, <laughs> but also a lady that, um, oh, I don't remember where she was walking. I think she was in Belltown and she's like walking down the street. I don't think it was like super late, but it was dark enough. Somebody came up behind her and hit her in the head with a skateboard. Right. She wasn't a part of any homeless and lady was just walking down the street, minding her business. So now if it's like, you know, it's kind of light outside. So say I were to go to the dispensary right now, I'm literally going to take a lift or ride a scooter. The dispensary is like a little 10 minute, 15 minute walk max there, 15 minutes back. But the fact that it could get dark, it now makes it to where I'm just like, you guys are just acting real crazy out here. And there's like really a lot of new little homeless pods, if you will, that are just popping up everywhere. Yeah, I see. Really, the homeless population as a whole can. I mean, we do need to figure out what we can do to support our our, our unhoused, um, our residents that are unhoused. It's the new politically correct term. Um, and with that being said, it also just comes with like, how do we do that in the best way possible? Um, clearly, Lady Gangster got 5150 tatted on her neck. She's already self-proclaiming that she's got some mental health issues. So if you, I mean, if you pull up and you stabbing somebody at 10 o'clock in the morning, it's something not all the way right with you. Let's just, let's just keep it a buck. So I don't know. Um, and again, I just thought this was an interesting story because you don't hear that very much coming out of Seattle and then having surveillance video that shows the whole thing. Well, it's also it's also becoming a thing. I don't remember. I don't know if it was an ice cream shop or a dispensary. There was some spot out here. And I guess there was a homeless woman there. And then the guy ended up like shooting her with a rifle because I guess she wouldn't leave. The owner of the business, like literally seen it online, scrolling, minding my own business. Like it's really been getting more crazy out here. Can I also just say before we move on that the friend who picked up the rifle you need friends like that. He's super dumped into action if you think about it. Like he was like, hey, my man is down. He picked off and got off a couple rounds for his homeboys. So that's a friend. That's a good friend. I appreciate that. Some of my friends are online. I hope you guys will pick up the rifle for me just in case. Or something like that. Cause she ended up like really just stabbing him in his spleen or something. Girl, it's like she knew where to do it too. Like perfect aim, perfect shot. Body language and everything. I was like, oh, you've done this a few times, ma'am. Okay, and hauled up those stairs, like not out of breath, like adrenaline pumping, gotta get out of there. Mm-hmm. All right, well, anyway, we gotta get out of here to our next story. I am such a nerd and I'm probably the only one who's like super incredibly excited that the White House Correspondent Dinner is back, baby. Uh, so last Saturday, um, the Correspondent's Dinner took place, you guys. Um, and despite it being gone for a number of years due to the pandemic and the Trump administration putting just a damper on there because Donald Trump didn't wanna go to it and he snubbed it, 
um, and he snubbed his um, administration to go anyway. It's back and um, people are saying back better than ever. It was actually really difficult to get in this year. Um, a lot of the press that, um, you know, wanted to get full tables, you know, weren't even able to get that many seats, weren't able to secure that um, that number because so many people were interested in going. And you guys, this is the so-called nerd prom here in Washington. I reported it out when I was at work on Monday and um, I really thought to myself like, dang, as a media professional, I need to figure out how to go to the White House Correspondent Dinner next year. So that is on my new bucket list. Uh, Trevor Noah was the comedian that took the stage. We do have a clip of him letting off some jokes. Let's uh, play that and we'll come back and talk about it. Three years. Yeah. And the truth is, I want us all to have a good time tonight. So please, everyone relax. You know, I know everyone in this room is worried about who catches you laughing at what, and, but just chill, just chill. We're celebrating, we're out. You know, get comfortable. Not too comfortable, Jeffrey Tubin. not too comfortable. <laughs> no, you know what? No, don't, don't ooh him, bunch of haters. You know what, so what, Jeffrey? You made a mistake, you whipped it out in front of your coworkers. That's the first step to winning a Grammy for comedy album of the year. You're halfway there, my friend. You don't let the haters stop you. We all come back from mistakes. Now, you might have not. You guys, I thought Trevor Noah did such a phenomenal job. There's a full 26-minute clip of him going in. Um, and President Biden was really, really, really good um, during the roast as well. So, Jacqueline. I love this. I mean, we got to lighten it up in Washington. I mean, we get so serious, you know, 364 days a week, honey. This is nice. And it's nice that outside is open again. I have a question about the correspondent dinners. What is with the comedian? Like, is it like just to kind of lighten the mood? Like, because it's a little awkward in there. Well, so, you know, the whole point of the dinner is to roast the president. Oh. So the whole thing is to get up there. You have one comedian and they roast everybody in the room and they roast the president. And the president opens it up with a roast as well. So if you go back... Barack Obama did such a good job, you know, during his tenure in office. So you go back and watch some of the clips. Okay. They're hilarious. I mean, you don't have to know all of the, the media correspondence to like kind of get the jokes um, because mostly it's just like making light of the administration and, you know, it kind of like lightening the mood, which is why Donald Trump never wanted to do it. Um, but it's all in good fun. And, you know, it usually brings out a whole host of celebrities. This year, it did not in the years of the Obama administration. But, um, you know, a lot of the press have basically been coming out to say, like, because it has been gone for so long in the last couple of years due to the pandemic and the Trump administration kind of like putting a damper into it. It's just now kind of getting its legs back. So I think next year depending on who becomes president, honey, I think we will see that this, the correspondent dinner gets back to its regular schedule program. Interesting. All right. I'm going to watch. Cause that's the one where he did the mic drop at the end. Right. And like, that's the meme that always goes. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna yes. Yes. So go back and watch it. They're funny. Um, again, it's like the nerd prom, right? So like if you're in the business and you watch Washington, like this is one of the dinners that's like just really fun to kind of like kick things off. Okay, okay, I'll pick it up. 
All right, you guys. But Trevor Noah was such a good pick. I mean, come on. Like, who doesn't like Trevor Noah? Um, some good news and a turn of events for Brittany Griner and her family, you guys. Uh, the State Department is now changing their strategy and working to get her free. Um, the U.S. government is considering um, that the star be, uh, is being deemed wrongfully detained in Russia and is signaling a significant sh to shift to get her back home. So this is great news. Um, in a statement from the Department of State, uh, they say the welfare and safety of U.S. citizens abroad is among the highest priority of the U.S. government. The State Department, the Department of State, State, excuse me, has determined that the Russian Federation has wrongfully detained U.S. citizen Brittany Griner. So whole new strategy. Um, we know that they have been trying to keep it very light um, and not really giving this a lot of media coverage because they wanted to. Uh, basically see, you know, what was going to happen. And they didn't want to give any more, add any more fuel to the fire on this, but they're changing their tune. Um, and in an official statement, they're designating that the U.S. government will no longer wait for the case to be tried or to play out in Russia and that they're going to move forward with negotiations to get her return back to the United States. As they should. I've been really following this and I've been trying to kind of like hold back on like doing too much research on it after a little bit because I knew that she wasn't going to be out at least until May 19th. But when I saw that information, I'm like, first of all, why did it take this long for that to even be, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like off top, we knew that she was wrongfully arrested and now she's been in there for 72 days or more, something like that. Now the WNBA season's about to start. Thankfully, they're still going to, you know, pay her and, you know, they're going to honor her. But it's like, man, you got this six plus foot woman in this itty bitty room over some oil. Allegedly. Hashish oil. You're right. I mean, I agree with all you guys that this is long overdue um, and that the Department of State should have been jumped in and kind of like made this happen. Uh, we do see that, you know, when dealing with the Russian government, that you do have to play it safe. Right. Like you do have to uh, tread lightly. And I think uh, Brittany Griner got locked up at one of the worst times, you know, kicking off when Russia is in a war with Ukraine. I mean, can you imagine like you just like walk right into that? So. Uh, prayer for Lee, she'll be released back to her family. I know that her wife has, um, her wife and family have been pretty tight lipped uh, just because that has been the directive, right? Because they didn't want to uh, really increase the hostage situation that she's in. So we pray for her. Uh, we pray for her safe return. Uh, 75 days is not as long as some detainees in Russia have been. I think the guy that was just released, he was three there for years. three years. So not to say that 75 days isn't a long time because God forbid, you know, I don't want to do not a day. I want to do two days. Okay. <laughs> an hour. Okay. So, you know, we're with her, um, you know, and again, I shared the sentiments of her wife and family. Like you do not want your loved one to be, away from you in any capacity, especially in like a hostile kind of environment. So I'm, I'm just glad that they're really pushing to get this done. So that, and I do also want to note, um, a lot of people were asking why she was over there and, you know, she's over there cause she was playing and they get paid like 
three to four times more over there. So hopefully, you know, this situation will make it to where other women within the WNBA are able to come out and be like, look, maybe she wouldn't have been over there if you guys weren't only paying us, you know, 40 to $150,000 a year. And you were actually paying us a million dollars or $500,000, like what they're actually getting over there. It's super unfortunate that they do have to put themselves in these crazy situations just to actually make ends meet when it's like, this is my off season. I should be at home. I should be with my wife, enjoying my wife, enjoying my family, living my life. But no, they don't make any money when they're here in the state. So they have to go across the water and things like this end up happening. So hopefully when she does get out, there's able to be a conversation of getting more money to these WNBA players. Hell yeah. I mean, that needs to be the first step in negotiation. And you're right. Like people like why should women athletes or female athletes have to go overseas in order to get an equitable salary doing the same thing that they're doing in the United States? I mean, she is, you know, the LeBron James of her field. And so you would think that she would be able to get that type of equitable pay um, where she wouldn't have to spend so much time overseas to be able to take care of herself and her family. So definitely a point to be considered. And, you know, the WNBA needs to continue to consider that so that athletes don't have to or be forced to do that because she's been doing it for a number of years. So increasing that salary is a big deal. Um, but I hope when she does come that she does the tell all that she writes a book um, that she talks about her time, not only just being detained, but like, the the number of times that she went over there because I think you're right. And even if she did have hashish oil, I think it doesn't even matter. I think that the you know Department of State should have already moved forward with saying that the, you know that she should not be detained and go ahead and get our American citizens back. Mm-hmm. So even if she was in the wrong, we still need to go get her back. You know what Where I'm saying? Back and plan. <laughs> And stop playing, period. (laughs) All right, y'all. Another thing that I really wanted to talk about is that people ain't playing about going back to work, child. The great resignation is continuing. People are not going back to work. And it's absolutely showing no signs of slowing down. I have a tweet up, you guys, from Julia uh, Pollard. Great name, Julia. And... um, she is an uh, an a, a economist, the chief economist of ZipRecruiter, and she says as employers require workers to return to office offices, quits are ticking upwards. A major reason for quitting is to find a remote opportunity. Y'all, 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 let me tell you, baby, that is how I'm feeling. And that is a lot of the conversations that I've been having around. People are looking for remote opportunities. They do not want to return back in office. And guess what? It doesn't have anything to do with COVID. It has everything to do with the fact that we are embracing this new normal. So why should I have to pay for a commute, pay for parking, pay for dry cleaning, get my hair, my nails done, pay for lunch when I'm down there, when I can do all of this in the privacy and the comfort of my own home. So power to the people who are looking for remote opportunities because they are embracing this new normal. No, same. Like even with me, every once in a while, I have to go into the radio station for like a meeting here and there, but I really only have to go in once a week. Everything else is still remote. So for me, when you're hearing about these companies where they're like, all right, everybody needs to be back in the office now. It's like, why? 
Is it because you need to still utilize this office space and now you feel like you're wasting money? Or is it just because you felt like productivity was down? If productivity was down, say that. But from what I've heard, a lot of people have been even more productive working from home because, you know, you kind of like make your own schedule. Like I could wake up at 12 o'clock, but still be working until like 11 p.m. If I, you know, doing little things throughout the day. So for me, for me to have to like literally, you know, before I moved downtown, I was living in Renton. And but I worked downtown. So being in traffic for like an hour on the way there, sometimes hour, two hours on the way back, trying to get out of freaking this Mercer health hole that we have over here. Um, it's it's just not worth my time. And then, like you said, you have to pack a lunch. Sometimes you have to be around people you don't want to be around. And frankly, mm -hmm. I've been sick a lot less working from home. Not even just COVID sickness. Like back then I was always catching colds, you know, catching the flu, catching this, catching that, having sore throats. I don't really have those issues these days because I'm not around people like that. I've like, I'm one of the people, I'm like very few people out here, but I never got COVID and I still haven't gotten COVID. And I think it's because I'm able to take such long breaks from being around people. Man, how about just not catching an attitude? I'm telling you right now, I don't want to catch an attitude in traffic it's just so inconvenient and I'm embracing the work from home. We are actually back on a hybrid schedule. So we only work two days in office and three days work from home. And I love it because you literally can work from anywhere. I just don't feel like working in a particular office space should determine my level of productivity. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I think a lot of the reports are, are showing that people are more productive working in spaces that they are, you know, more comfortable in. You know, if I can sit and work in my pajamas, I'm going to be a lot more productive than putting on that business suit, brother. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I think, you know, we have embraced a lot of what COVID has done and we're now living in post pandemic. I think we also need to embrace things that, um, are beneficial to us, which is, you know, having a little bit more leniency in the workplace. Some other identifiers, though, Besa, is that majority of workers should quit their job in 2021. Here's some statistics. Uh, the first one, 63% of people said that they quit because of low pay. 63% um, of people also said that they quit because there was no opportunities for advancement. Mm -hmm. um, and the third reason was they also, 57% of people said that they felt uh, had feelings of being disrespected in the workplace. Um, and those were the reasons that they quit. This was a, a survey that was taking place February 7th through 13 um, mm -hmm. in 2021. So a new survey should be coming out in the end of April or finished in the end of April. And so we should get another one. So we'll come back and report on those statistics. But these are some major reasons. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not working... I think a lot of people also noticed that when they were home during the pandemic and they started their additional businesses and their side hustles, they kind of learned like, you know what? I don't have to. It was a perfect storm. I don't have to work in an environment where I don't feel comfortable or feel respected in. And I'm not going to continue working for low pay in a place that has no advancement. And, um, you know, and just at this level of play. I'm and not also feeling like a slave to your job. Like it's uh, one thing to go in. Like, like I said, I go in once a week. My meeting is an hour. I usually stay for about two or three hours afterwards. So that way I can do like some TikTok content or whatever have you. But otherwise I'm in and out being literally at 
any job from nine to five, that's my whole day. My day's gone. I'm literally planning my entire life around having to be at this office. And then God forbid you work in Seattle and live in Tacoma. So now your whole day is shot and you only can do things on the weekends. I think another thing that's happened with people working from home, aside from being more comfortable, they're happier. You know, I can go to Cancun and still work. Yes. I can be on the beach as long as I have my Wi-Fi and my laptop is charged. Having my, my, my Microsoft Teams meet, it doesn't matter where I'm at. As long as I take my laptop, I'm getting my work done. So while I'm sitting here in my little bikini with my little, you know, martini or whatever, or in this case, I'm just drinking ice water, I'm learning my business <laughs> and I'm getting my work done. And guess what? I'm probably going to do it better because I'm happy, I'm in a good mood, and I'm not sitting next to Susie Q who maybe didn't properly bathe that day. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I don't want to hear about your boyfriend's problems. Sometimes you go into the job, you got to hear have all these crazy energies around it's a lot and if i can just be in la if i could be in cancun i can heck i could be at your house and be like sis i'm gonna go work for a second brb and then we can go to brunch like we said we were gonna do but guess what the work is done and that's what matters i mean listen i never want to go back into office full-time i absolutely think there's just no point and there's also like i think people are not going into the brick and mortar buildings as much anyway like i've been going to the dmv um, lately with Rodney and a lot of people are opting into using online appointments and scheduling their appointments to do things online. So there is a clear shift in that people want the level of convenience that you can do online. So that is the new wave. Uh, employers get with the new normal, embrace it. Don't try to stifle uh, your work, your workforce, because you want them to, you want to see them sitting at a desk. It's just, it's, the, that's the old days. We ain't we ain't going back to the old days, y'all. Shout out to Miss Dea. It's equality too. Um, to, because if I can get Seattle money but live in ATL, yes. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it, I have a girlfriend and she is employed in Seattle, but she lives in Washington D.C. And so, imagine if you were working. Let's say you had a district based job, you worked, you were employed by the you know district government or the federal government and you lived in Mississippi where the cost of living is way lower. OK, like you're you're doing what you want to do or like it, to your point, if you want to travel, like even if it's not like going to sit somewhere on a beach with a martini, what if you just want to travel? It's like, hey, I, you know, these last couple of days I'm working remotely and I'm going to go to Las Vegas and hang out with my mom. And so when I get off work and get offline at 530, I'm like, boom, already in the room with my mom, you know. Yep. So just some things to consider for people who um, who are employing people, people, we ain't ready to go back to the office. I do feel bad for the, the hospitality and tourism industry because, you know, some of the restaurants downtown and stuff are not being patronized. And so I think it's an economy thing and boosting the economy and they want um, people to go back downtown to kind of stimulate that stuff. But honestly, listen, I can't afford it with inflation anyway. So mm, I'm good. And then I got Instacart, Uber Eats. Look, <laughs> unless I want to be around people, I'm just going to order the food and take it home. I'm okay. Okay, that's good. You still stimulate in the economy. We appreciate that. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we have got to talk about Dave Chappelle getting attacked at a comedy show. Stay tuned. When the pandemic hit, it did affect me. As a barber, I had my own personal reasons why I didn't get vaccinated. At the time, I didn't check the actual source. 
I thought the vaccine was developed too fast, but I was talking to a doctor and he was telling me more about the vaccine and what it could do to protect us and our family. I wanted to get back to that once was, right? I do feel safe knowing that I am vaccinated. I just hope what I'm saying is reaching into people's heads to know that this is the best decision for all of us. All right, y'all. Welcome back to Clapback Culture. In case you missed it, we have Basa Gordon taking over for Mike Davis tonight. And we're so glad to have you. Okay. So I know you have a lot to talk about with this, you guys. Um, an audience member attacked Dave Chappelle during his show in Los Angeles. <sighs> These comedians ain't safe no more. Like, no. It's, giving, it's giving they're under attack. That's what it's giving. But you guys, an audience member, it happened on Tuesday night uh, while he was performing at the Hollywood Bowl in L.A., um, the man who tackled him is a guy that has been identified as Isaiah Lee, and he had a knife and is in police custody. However, he's not going to face felony charges despite carrying a replica pistol with a folding knife blade affixed to it and has been hit with four misdemeanor charges. Let's take a look at the attack and we'll break down the charges and what happened after that. Behind me on the DJ table is one of the most prolific producers that hip hop has ever presented, the mighty man Lil. Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for hip hop history. Well, Dave Chappelle didn't miss a beat and kept rolling with the show. We also saw a quick cameo where uh, Chris Rock took the mic and said, was that Will Smith? So I'm excited to hear what Chris Rock has to say about all of this very soon. Um, but basically, before, before we hear what you have to say, can we take a look at what the security guards did to oh, Isaiah Lee? It's giving, it's not hackers either. You can't think that you're going to jump on stage with Dave Chappelle. Wow. I mean, was it worth it? It was, it couldn't have been worth, it couldn't have been worth that. Let's go ahead and see the weapon. I don't know how he ended up getting this in there. So this is, it's a knife. The blade is affixed to the end of this replica gun. And then the smaller picture just shows how the blade will tuck in. So it's not a real gun. Um, but how the heck did you get this into the venue? And this is a Netflix event. Like, I don't, I. First of all, I'm disturbed. Very, very much so. I waited this whole time. Like I heard about it and I heard how his arm was over here looking like a twisted up chicken leg. My so <laughs> I was like, damn, I'm all damn near hanging out. Um, I didn't see the photo until this very moment. That's why I'm like, whoa. <laughs> um, you hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen the photo. Like, this is my first time seeing the photo. Oh, let's put the photo back up, you guys. Let's put the photo back up so you guys can see. Oh, yeah. They're not, they wasn't playing with that man. Oh, my God. Isaiah, and then, Isaiah, Isaiah. They were not playing with you. You came for battle. I think it's hilarious that the police have also handcuffed the arm. Like, he, he ain't doing... The arm is broken and dislocated. Like, and even handcuffed the arm. <laughs> they was like, "No, nah, you really tried it, sir." Well, that and also somebody's getting fired because you know, like you said, 
not only did you bring in a knife, you brought in something that literally looks like a gun. So did he sneak in at that point? Because I'm pretty sure he couldn't have gone through security with that. Like he had to have like snuck in through a side door. Like I'm not saying that somebody might have paid it to sneak in or something like that, but it doesn't make sense for this to be a Netflix event. The kind of security that you're going to have at a Netflix event with a Dave Chappelle, I know Chris Rock definitely had security in there. So it's like, I feel like Jamie Foxx was there. There was a lot of celebrities that were in there that night. So for this man to somehow, some way, not only get in there with that weapon, but also somehow be able to get in on that stage. I'm not trying to say it's an inside job, but something isn't right here. Yeah, it does smell a little off to me. One of our viewers, Arlo, is saying that the Hollywood Bowl notoriously has very light security. So that's interesting. And maybe, um, you know, lends itself to why Isaiah Lee was able to get this in because it is disturbing, right? Like you're, we're getting to a point where we can't even go to some of these big events without feeling unsafe. Um, it's interesting because I had that thought when um, something in the water came out and I was just like, it's it's not even COVID anymore that's making me feel uncomfortable. Like, I'm just not sure how I feel and being in these um, big arenas anymore to participate in some in some level of entertainment and not really feeling safe and feeling like I'm telling you this Travis Scott stampede at that concert and all those people dying and being injured. It's like, I can't, it's like, I'm traumatized from that. And then you see like, even at the Oscars, like people are threatening at the Oscars. Like, I'm not saying like, I'm worried that, you know, Will Smith is this big bad wolf. But at the same time, we're also in a time where it's like, Will Smith slapped the shit out of Chris Rock at the Oscars. They didn't have any security. They didn't make him leave the show and then honor him thereafter. He wanted him there after. And then you're looking at like folks like Dave Chappelle, who's there to, you know, do a show. And it's like he has his own security. That's his own security that jumped in um, to make sure that he was safe. So there's a lot of things that I think uh, the ball was dropped here to answer. um, I saw someone's question up here, Leon's question um, and why the charges were dropped. Well, the charges were reduced um, and I don't know exactly why, but it's a great question and a question that a lot of people have been asking. But the L.A. city attorney, Mike Fuhrer, hit Lee with four misdemeanor crimes, which include battery possession of a weapon with intent to assault, unauthorized access to the stage area during a performance and commission of an act that delays the event or interferes with performer. There's a video online of uh, the L.A. city attorney talking about these charges and that they take crime very seriously, Um, blah, blah, blah. Make no mistake that if this were Katy Perry or somebody, I think we would see that assault with a deadly weapon would have been more charged. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm necessarily looking for him to have like bigger charges or stronger charges, but this is a big deal. I mean, and caught on camera 
what if he did stab Dave Chappelle? What if he had killed Dave Chappelle? Like, I just want better security protocols. Because my thing is, if you can somehow sneak on stage with Dave Chappelle up there, I know you can sneak on stage when I'm up there. Well, and then it's it's also giving like how much were tickets? Like, how did you get in? Like, it lends itself to so many different questions. So I was diving deep, you guys, and the brother of Isaiah Lee was interviewed by the New York reporter, excuse me, by the New Yorker. Um, and in that interview, the brother of the wannabe rapper, as they say, because Isaiah Lee's a rapper, um, he says that his sibling had no prior beef with Dave Chappelle, that he didn't know any reason why his brother would have done that. Um, he says, the report says that his brother, or says that Aaron, um, excuse me, says that Isaiah Lee has lots of transgender friends, but couldn't say for certain if Chappelle's history of making controversial trans jokes would have spurred Lee to attack him. I don't know what that necessarily means. I think it's I don't from know. From the comedy show that he did, you know, like the last special, right. everybody was pissed off about that. So I guess he's saying maybe he did it in retaliation for one of his transgender friends. And it's funny though, because at the end he was like, oh my God, that was a trans man. I I mean, I guess to lighten the mood because he is under attack by the trans community, which would honestly make more sense if there were a reason. Um, so his brother is saying it could have definitely been a factor, but he doesn't really know. He also goes on to say that his younger brother has been in and out of um, L.A. homeless shelters in the past mm. decades um, and struggles with mental illness. So there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, what we can't do, though, either is we can't keep tying mental illness to people acting out like we can't do that either. So there, there has to be a level of accountability here. If this guy just gets off scot-free and gets to go right back out to. Safeway tomorrow. I mean, it's just like whatever, but I don't know. So maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe they're going to give this young man a mental health assessment. Um, I don't know, but this is like, it's crazy to see all of this kind of stuff like act out on stage, but again, I don't know. Harry Jefferson's comment is right on point to what I was thinking. Homeless and broke, but has a front row seat at a Dave Chappelle show. Man, stop it. And that is what I thought of. So when I saw the report of the brother, I'm like, so he's homeless, but he has a front row seat at a Dave Chappelle show? How? Like, and even if he didn't have a front row seat, how did he get down there? Like, it, like, I just have so many questions. And for me, the fact that he knew where to go and like, I'm just like, who let you in here? And like, it, I'm not saying it was an inside job, but it definitely feels like some little sketch. Anyway, um, I love that Dave Chappelle took this lightly and continued on with his show. Bravo to him. But again, I mean, got to be more careful. <laughs> <laughs> be more careful all right we're going to move into our clap back let's take well let me ask cuddy cuddy do we have the do we have the clip yet were you able to get that that beautiful beam footage let's see okay cool so 
This is crazy. We're in 2022. Are we in 2022, y'all? We're in 2022, but we are at the verge of abortion rights being snatched away um, at the tips of our fingers. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court had a leak, okay, that their opinion draft of Roe v. Wade um, was to be reversed. Like, <laughs> how, Sway? I don't know how we got here. Um, but we do have a clip, a clip um, just a short one of Elizabeth Warren down at the protest. Let's take a look. And Democratic lawmakers have been joining protesters in front of the Supreme Court here today. Senator Elizabeth Warren spoke to the crowd just moments ago. I am here because I am angry. And I am here because the United States Congress can change all of this. I have seen the world where abortion is illegal. And we are not going back. So I want to play that, Lisa, because I think it's important that even if the Supreme Court finalizes this stupid ass decision, it makes no sense to me because abortions will never stop. I mean, a lot of people came down to the protest with hangers because I remember my grandmother having conversations with me and my cousins and, you know, around my aunts and talking to us about how they would do these kitchen abortions mm -hmm. and, you know, how dangerous they were and how there was just like one mother, you know, or one community, you know, one auntie in the, in the neighborhood that like had this job. And so this ain't going to stop. The home remedies are going to kick in. Um, Chip, to your point, the 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 day after pills are going to rain from the Internet. Um, I saw another article about abortion pills like being sold online. And so people are just going to look for other avenues. And so rather than banning, excuse me, banning abortions, we should just be looking into how to continue to make these things safe so that we don't have people dying. Well, my thing is, who asked for this? Right. Like, like who, who took their day off and went picketing and was like, <laughs> reverse Romeo? Like, who asked for this? Like, and then furthermore, the people that are trying to vote this in, most of them are men, and then the other ones are old ass women. It's like, sis, you couldn't even have a baby right now anyway. So the audacity of you to tell mm. me what I can do with my limber 32 year old body you know what i mean like i've never i've never been pregnant so i've never been pregnant miscarriage no i haven't done that but at the same time who am i to tell anyone what to do with their body especially if i can't do it myself so for a man to tell me what i'm gonna do with my body for some lady in her 60s 70s who can't do what i can do with my body now to tell me what i can't and what my kids can't do ma'am the audacity the balls, <laughs> the disrespect, the, like you said, are we in 2022 or are we in like, I don't know, 1982? I just really want to know who asked for this and why. Listen, I mean, I think you're totally on point with who asked for it. And it's, you know, white men and when women with an old uterus who can't do nothing about it. I mean, we have a conservative Supreme Court, which is why you know, getting the appointment of 
you know, Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson is so important. And it's why the midterm elections are so important, because we have to really consider what can Congress do under these circumstances. And so this is not the end of the fight, uh, but it's just crazy that the audacity of today's um, U.S. Supreme Court is like, let me just go after abortion rights real quick. Like, let me just go ahead and knock that out. Like, come on, y'all. It's just it's way too much. Um, but Barack Obama posted um, a joint statement between him and Michelle Obama. And I really loved um, some of the pieces that he put it in. I'm just going to read a few clips of it. He says, few, if any, women make the decision to terminate a pregnancy casually, and people of goodwill across the political spectrum can hold different views on the subject. But what Roe recognized is that the freedom enshrined in the 14th Amendment of the Constitution requires all of us to enjoy a sphere of our lives that isn't subject to meddling from the state, a sphere that includes personal decisions involving who we sleep with, who we marry, whether or not to use contraception, and whether or not to bear children. Um, he goes on to say in the statement that um, a clear majority of Americans support Roe. And he also asked people to consider, if you are a person that doesn't, consider the college student waking up after her date forced her into unprotected sex. Think about the couple that tried to have children for years who are without any options when forced with the tragic reality of an unviable pregnancy. Think of any of the hundreds of thousands of women each year who deserve the dignity and freedom of making a decision that is right for their bodies and their circumstances. I mean, leave it to Barack Obama to, to put into words exactly the sentiments that a lot of us feel. Um, I also noticed that um, Egypt in the comments put something up like thinking about um, a lot of these families, even women and families having to raise children and how dangerous that is when they can't take care of them. Right. Because we're not thinking about that. We're having conversations like, OK, you had unprotected sex. You don't know. You don't understand the circumstances in which someone is ready to bring a baby into the world. OK, so like. Is poverty going to rise up because of this? Absolutely. Because people, it's extremely high to take care of just yourself right now. Some people just are like, imagine, like, imagine if you're married, you got, you know, two kids, a family, a dog, a white picket fence, and baby, you're busting at the seams, living paycheck to paycheck. And one more baby is not, is not in the cards for you, sis. It's not. And it's not in the cards for your family. And to take that away. Right. Women get pregnant on the IUD. OK. Mm -hmm. What about people who are doing everything right and still are like, oh, my God, like I'm pregnant and this is just not the right time or place for me. Or the amount of women that are like, oh, how do I have a baby? But I actually took my plan B. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it happens. It's not or, or women that get pregnant and the condom broke like things happen it's not like everyone is just willy-nilly just saying forget condoms like things happen people are trying to put things in place and for me it's like okay this is what you guys are worried about rather than creating a more sustainable wage for the whole country i heard there was somewhere where one avocado was four dollars i'm like look i'm gonna need you guys to get your priorities together okay <laughs> hmm. 
I'm, I'm saying, I mean, there's so many things to consider in this. Um, I appreciate all of those people who went down and marched on Washington to push this conversation and to uh, to rally and to be the voice of a lot of Americans who support this. But again, I don't need some old white man reaching deep down into my uterus, making decisions about what I can and cannot do. That just should not happen. Um, and for real, for real, this is going to disproportionately affect black and brown women and, and women who don't have no money. OK, so this is that that is who it's going to affect black, brown and poor. And this, think about, like you said, all the women that are going to be trying to do it anyways. And then and, and again, those are the people who are going to have to find alternative routes in order to make this happen. I think about myself living in D.C., which is not a state and how the federal government would have mandates over this. And, and shout out to my colleague, Nicole West, who put me on, on point with this. And she was like, this could have like big issues for district um, uh, residents in Washington, D.C., because we're not a state. And so what does that mean for us? Because we are bound by what the federal government decides. Um, I don't know. I mean, a state like Washington, which is really great. You know, when I was in high school, girls were going to um, go into the health clinic and being able to sign up to go get abortions. And they didn't even have to tell their parents. Mm -hmm. And so abortions, contraception, Every, you know, uh, STD clinics, all of those things are going to be funded through like Planned Parenthood, a place that's safe, well-respected, somewhere you can go and have these kind of like really safe conversations with, um, with you know, healthcare providers. All of that stuff is going to be defunded. So it's not even just this idea of like you can't have a safe abortion, but it's also going to pull that funding away from organizations like Planned Parenthood that, you know, do offer services like that, but also additional services that women do want to participate in. So it's like, OK, like, are we going to can we get free birth control? Like, are we still going to get birth control? What about people who don't want to be on birth control because of fibroids or ovarian cysts or all of that stuff? It does. It, it honestly messes with like the chemicals in my head. So it's like I, it's, it's just too much. So I can't. I literally cannot take birth control. I saw this girl on in, on Instagram, and she posted that she had twenty one fibroids removed. Okay, and it is directly tied to being on birth control. Like y'all stop putting your kids on birth control from like 14. Imagine being on like birth control from like 14 or 15 all the way to like 25. That's a long time to be feeding that medication and changing your hormones in your body. Like it's not healthy. It's not healthy. And I'm not saying abortions are like a, a method of birth control. But what I'm saying is, is like, listen, if you're if you're practicing safe sex as safe as possible with condoms, you have a few slip ups, you get pregnant, whatever the case may be, you should be able to have an alternative form of contraception and abortion is a legal right that all women should be able to have access to point blank period. And do you know if it's true? I was watching, I want to say his name is the lead attorney on YouTube. And he was saying there's like 24 or 26 states where if it really fully is reversed, like instantly, that is the rule that's there. 
Like there's other states where it's like, okay, we can decide what we want to do, but there are apparently some states that literally have something in place in case this ever happened to where it's like an instant thing where it's illegal. Well, and again, and that's why I was saying, well, to answer your question, yes. And also moving forward, which is why we have to look at our state officials in Congress to really act, right? And so again, the midterm elections, we just watched what happened in Ohio. Like we have to get these, I don't, I hate to say that, but we do need to get the conservative population out of office because they're changing stuff left and right. And it's just, it's too much. It's, I mean, this is impeding on our constitutional right. Like we need to dismantle the filibuster at some point so we can kind of get some bills voted in to protect the rights of women to protect all of us like this is getting outrageous like we're just beyond the point of no control so i don't know we could go on for hours and hours but that's our show y'all we're at the 11 o'clock hour oh excuse me i'm on the east coast It's the 8 o'clock hour. <laughs> All right, Basin, when you are not here on Clapback Culture, where can they find you? Oh, my God. So I haven't even fully announced this yet. But so you guys can hear me on the weekends here in Seattle. It's 1061. But also I'm now on in Austin, Texas, and I'm on in Sacramento on the weekends, uh, which is getting added on to my Fresno and my Portland spot. So Best bet is just to follow me on Instagram. And that is where I will put my whole list of where you can listen to me on air. And then all my socials are at Basic Gordon. We love it. We love all your success. Congratulations. Um, Well, y'all, that's our show. When I'm not here, you guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Treasure of J-U-L-E-S. And on TikTok, y'all. I'm on TikTok. Finally. I know. Listen, I'm not a good TikToker, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm actually just scared to get addicted, but I'm on TikTok as Treasure of Jewels. So pull up and follow me there. Um, Until next week, that's our show. I actually will not be here next week because I'm going to be in Cabo for a bachelorette weekend, honey. So I will be taking the week off, but you guys will be back with Mike Davis and maybe even basically we can get her back to fill in for me. <laughs> Baby, man, me and my, look, anytime I fill in, it just always works. We'll <laughs> see, we'll see. All right, y'all, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in to Clapback Culture. Peace. produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences our coverage is raw transparent and objective praised by community leaders government officials and residents support converge media today via venmo cash app or paypal at converge media